how did you first meet Chris Cornell? Well, I met first. Well, I had just kind of seen him around, you know, like we had crossed paths on Lollapalooza. But when the first real serious meeting was when Rage broke up in 2000, Tim and Brad and I knew we wanted to play together. And we knew we wanted Rick Rubin to make whatever our next record was. So spent a lot of time over at, at his house and listening to CDs. And the one that we kept returning to was Bad Motor Finger. And just we're like, man, that I mean, that guy's it's just. His voice was incredible, like the songwriting was incredible, and it was also like kind of scary. Like there's something about it, like something not entirely right that was very appealing. So Rick and I drove, um, at the time Chris was living in Ojai, which is about an hour and a half north of here, and so Rick and I drove up there. Now Rick Rubin, Rick doesn't drive anywhere for anything, okay? <laughs> he go, he's not going anywhere for anything. So, so and, and when he does, it's like in a Rolls Royce inside another Rolls Royce, you know? So, so he's driving up there in my Chevy Astro van, you know, to Ojai. <laughs> and he was like at a convenience store like for the first time in 40 years. I'm like, yeah, they have M&M's, dude. This. So it was, for him, it was like he was outside the bubble, right? Which meant he was serious about it. So we drive up to Ojai, and, and the skies are darkening. And Chris, of course, lives on the last loneliest mountain up the, up the wooded path. And it's, you know, it's dusk is falling. And we pull into this kind of Spanish-style castle at the very top. It's like you're going to Harry, Harry Potter or it's, something. Yeah, and, or, or Transylvania. Right. And, then we, and we, we pull in, and there's you know, some motorcycles in the driveway, and this kind of long, winding stairway that goes up to this gilded door. And then, you know, we pull in, and we're kind of looking at each other. And I swear to you, straight out of the Adams family, that door opens, like, with nobody opening the door. You know, like, the two <laughs> doors open. And out, you know, Chris was 6'2", six, six something, his lanky frame. He comes out, and he starts, you know, sort of taking these long steps, you know, down the stairway, Rick Rubin turns to me and goes, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> He's like, nope. <laughs> Did Rick know him? No, we, no, we were scared to death. Like, it was, it was Dracul was coming down the right. stairs, man. But Rick... Had, Our souls were at stake. Rick had no real history with him? No, no, no. We, we knew him. But anyway, fortunately, we got over our, our childish terror, and, uh, and we had like a Like dry ice on the stairs. <laughs> it, was so, it was totally terrifying. <laughs> but, I mean, Chris had a presence that was, you know, part of it was like he'd be sitting here and having a good laugh. But there was a side that enabled him to tap in to those lyrics that were so compelling yeah. in a way. And I, you know, and I, I said it last night from the stage and I'll say it again that that you know, celebrating Chris was a, you know, a great father and a great bro and a great philanthropist, but he had a very very he wrestled with demons his whole life, but he took those demons by the collar and he rode them like a motherfucking chariot of lightning strapped with Marshall Stacks to make some of the greatest rock and roll. He harnessed it in a way that for 52 years, it's what he tapped into that is a crucial part of what made him great. And so that's, that's one of the things we were honoring last night, too. It's not like, you know, it's not like oh, if only he had just been a cheery dude the whole time, you wouldn't have had the, the, the tremendous music that he made.